What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Have you ever had a reoccurring dream? Maybe when you were a teenager or when you were a child or maybe even adulthood, you had a dream that kept coming up into your mind on a regular basis. Well, we, I think we all have had those. But if I could, let's just imagine right now, you last night had a dream and you saw me driving a brand new car, but you couldn't make out the brand new car. And I came to your house and I came into your home and you fixed this elaborate meal. It was salmon, it was steamed vegetables, it was rice, it was, it was just first class meal and we ate together. And then I drove in the parking lot and you noticed it was a sports car but you still couldn't quite make out what the dream was and you came up to me and you said Brian you're never going to believe this I had this dream last night that you were driving the sports car and you came to church and we had a meal the night before and I said well let me just tell you something I have spent time with the Lord and I have prayed and I have the interpretation of that dream and it means that first of all you need to Invite me to your house and fix a nice meal (laughs) and liquidate all your assets and buy me a Lamborghini. (laughs) Just kidding. Obviously, that would probably turn into your nightmare, Um, not a dream. But I share that to say this, that when we study the life of Joseph, you, 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 know, you don't see it here in verse 22 of Hebrews, but you know that chapter 37 begins with a couple of dreams. You know that when Joseph ends up in prison, you had the butler and the baker dream some dreams. And then you have Pharaoh of Egypt dream some dreams. And in the course of all these things, we find that Joseph is the one who gives interpretations. And so there are times throughout the past that God has spoken to his people through dreams and visions. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say to you today that the dream you had last night was a result of God divinely inspiring you to do something. It's probably because you stayed up a little too late and you had one too many slices of pepperoni pizza. But what I am saying today is that throughout history, There has been times when God has spoken to people through dreams at night. And that is the case in Joseph's life. It's most likely not the case in your life. The primary way that God speaks is through his word. And if you ever have somebody come to you and say, hey, I dreamed a dream and this happened to me and it doesn't line up with when God's word, then that dream was obviously not from God. The title of my message today is simply this, The Faith of Joseph. And as I've been meditating the last several days in the life of Joseph, and in this verse particularly, obviously we've been studying the book of Hebrews chapter 11. It's all about faith, and faith is total reliance and dependence upon God for everything. And we see that Joseph was a man who had faith in God. But what I find interesting here is what is not recorded from the writer of Hebrews. 
when I first read this about how he's predicting kind of a prophetic word that he gives in Genesis chapter 50 about the exodus of Israel going out of Egypt and then about them promising him and they're going to take his deceased corpse and bury him in the land of Canaan. Why is this verse here? Why are these events here summarizing the life of Joseph in Hebrews chapter 11? Well, we're going to get into all that momentarily. And before we do, I want to share this thought with you. If I could give you a thought today that, that would leave you with anything to chew on for the rest of this week, it would be this summarization statement. Faith in God will always look to God. I believe that phrase, that statement right there is the summarization of the life of Joseph. If he had a tombstone with an epitaph on it, I think that would be his epitaph. Faith in God will always look to God. We see that no matter where Joseph was, when he was a 17-year-old boy there with his family and his brothers betrayed him and he was thrown in a pit and he makes his way into the house of Potiphar there as a servant and a slave or there he makes his way into prison there to interpret dreams and a couple years transpire and Pharaoh hears about him and he comes and interprets his dream and at the age of 30 he stands before Pharaoh throughout the course of his life all the way to his death at 110 years of age. I believe that the scriptures reveal that he always looked to God by faith. So whether you're 17 years old today or 77 years old or somewhere in between or, or even beyond those ages, I want you to know this, that you are called to always look to God in every season of life by faith. But here's the question I want to ask. As we think about Joseph, as we think about looking to God by faith, when does faith look to God? When? I mean, we know that Joseph had faith in God. The writer of Hebrews says, by faith, Joseph. Joseph depended upon God. But when are we to look to God by faith? Well, today I want to share with you three times in which I believe we are called to look to God by faith. We're going to get back to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 22 and tie this verse in. And I'm going to give you some reasons why I think that the writer of Hebrews puts this here instead of anything else in Joseph's life. But before we do all that, I want to share with you, first of all, from the book of Genesis chapter 37. So if you have your Bible there handy, we're not going to read every verse of all these chapters, but I want you to turn there and so you maybe can skim through and see some of these key verses and key moments in Joseph's life. But first of all today, consider this. Faith looks to God in times of tribulation. Faith looks to God in times of tribulation. In Genesis chapter 37, we see Joseph is now a 17-year-old young man. Verse number two specifically says he was 17 years old. He was out feeding the flock. We understand he was a shepherd. And the Bible says in verse number three, that Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his sons. And the reason why is because Jacob, he unfortunately did have multiple wives and he favored Joseph's mom and therefore Joseph became his favorite son. So note to self, I know the last thing you want is parenting advice from a guy like me. But, but note this, that whenever a parent shows favoritism to any of their children, it can and may, most likely will result in jealousy and envy in the household. 
And so verse number four, the Bible says that once his brothers saw that he was loved more than them to his father, they hated him. And then to top it all off, in verse number five, Joseph comes and, and says, hey guys, guess what I dreamed last night? And he says, hey, we were out in the fields and, and we were binding all these sheaves and, and lo, my sheaf arose up above all of yours. And they made obeisance to it or they submitted to my sheaf. And his brothers looked at him and he says, shall we submit to you and you reign over us? You are younger than all of us. And the Bible says in verse eight that they hate him even more for that. Then he dreams another dream in verse nine, down to verse number 11. And in this one, the Bible says that, that he comes and, 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 and as he's dreaming, he sees the sun and the moon and all these 11 stars and they made obeisance to him. And he comes and tells his dad. He says, Father Jacob, guess what I dreamed last night? I dreamed about this moon and this sun and all these stars showed submission to me. And Jacob says, what? Shall we submit to you and you rule over us? And the Bible says that his brothers envied him and his father rebuked him. So in Genesis chapter 37, after he dreamed these dreams, they're out, his brothers go away, and then Joseph finally discovers where they are and in verse number 19, the Bible says, look, everybody, behold, there comes that little dreamer having that dream last night, those two dreams, thinking he's going to rule over us. We'll get him. So consider this, the trial of being deceitfully enslaved. Joseph went through trials. Could you imagine being 17 years old? I don't know if anybody here this morning is 17, but imagine you had 11 siblings, and your 11 siblings did not like you, so they developed this plan, and first of all, they said, we're going to kill him. But then one of the brothers steps up and says, hey, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in this pit right here. So they stripped him of that coat of many colors, and they threw him in there. And then they said, oh, oh, those are some Midianite merchants right over there. Let's sell them off to them. And that's what they did. Joseph, just as a 17-year-old young man, is enslaved deceitfully by his own brothers. Betrayed, if you will. And Joseph goes off in shackles and chains to be a slave. Finds his way to Egypt and finds his way to Potiphar's house. But, but in the meantime, we know that they went and killed an animal and they took the blood of the animal, his brothers did, and they spilled the blood on his coat of many colors and took it back to his father and said, Father Jacob, you're, you're never gonna believe this, but Joseph is dead and all that's left was his coat with his blood on his coat. And you know Genesis 37 and, and, and it speaks about this time of grief. But notice in verse 36, it says, and the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Joseph is now a slave. Faith 
looks to God in times of tribulation. Today, I'm standing here, most likely none of you are in shackles of chains, unless you think you're enslaved by the corporation in which you work for, and maybe you are, but I don't know. But what I am saying today is this, that there are people all over this world today through human trafficking and through other means of slavery, they are in bondage. But we at one time were in bondage to our own sin and Jesus stepped in and freed us. And so no matter what you're enslaved to, my friends, you can be set free by the sure grace of God. We're going to skip chapter 38 and jump to chapter 39 and consider this, the trial of not just only being deceitfully enslaved, but Joseph goes through the trial of being falsely accused. He makes his way to Potiphar's house. And in chapter 39, it tells this narrative here. It goes through in the details that he was a servant and he was kind of like the head or the master of of the servants, if you will. And, And it's interesting, in chapter 39, you'll see a repeated phrase in verse 3. It says that the Lord was with Joseph. And this is a repeated phrase that that transpires throughout chapter 37 all the way to chapter 50 in Joseph's life. And God was with Joseph. And I think the reason why God was with Joseph is because Joseph had faith in God and always looked to God. And so my friends, when we're going through times of tribulation and trials of sorrow or grief or whatever it might be, let us always look to God. And here in this scene, Joseph is there, Potiphar goes away. You probably know this story, but in case you don't, Potiphar there, he was a high up figure in Egypt and he, had, he was well off enough. He had enough money to have servants or slaves, if you will. And there Joseph was tending to his business. And Joseph, the Bible says here that Potiphar's wife, On multiple occasions, it says here day after day, speaking of so many times, Potiphar's wife tried to lay hold upon Joseph and sleep with him. And Joseph would not have it. And so this last time in verse number 12, she caught caught him by his own clothing and said, lie with me. And he flees from that temptation and trial and his garment is left and she concocts this accusation that he came in and tried to force her and made Potiphar throw him in jail. Now it's interesting, in this culture, from what I am told by historians, that if you were caught in this type of, of act, they were to take you and they would kill you. But maybe Potiphar knew his wife and knew that she was up to something and he showed mercy upon Joseph and only sent him to jail. So Joseph goes through this trial of being deceitfully enslaved. He is falsely accused in verses 1 down through verse 19. But then consider this in verses 20 um, through verse 23, he is wrongly imprisoned. Look at verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But check out verse 21. In fact, would you read that first phrase with me? But the Lord was with Joseph. Could you read it again? But the Lord was with Joseph. And the Bible says that that God showed mercy upon him and gives him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So everywhere Joseph went, whether he was with the Midianite merchant men, whether he was in Potiphar's house or even right here in jail, everywhere he went, he had the favor of God in his life. Now, I don't know about you, but I want God's favor on my life. 
I want to spend time with the Lord every day. I want to make sure that God's favor is upon me. And the only way, my friend, you can have God's favor is through the cross. Listen, I can do good deeds. I could read through the Bible every month. I could memorize the entire New Testament. I could do all those things, which I haven't memorized it. But, but I share that to say is that you could do all of those good deeds and good works, and it could never gain you enough favor in God's eyes. God's favor comes through the grace of Christ. But can I ask you something? You might be going through a tribulation. Surely you're not in jail right now because you're sitting here. Surely you're not a slave right now because you're a free man or a woman. But might, at some point, you might have been falsely accused of or charged with something you did not do. I don't know. Whatever your trial is right now, I want to urge you to look to God in faith. God is a God who can deliver his people from trials and tribulations. When else does faith look to God? Well, secondly, faith looks to God not just in times of tribulation, but faith looks to God in times of preservation. Faith looks to God in times of preservation. But keep in mind, Joseph's life teaches us faith in God will always look to God. Are you looking to God right now? preservation. This was something in the book of Genesis. We see that the enemy, Satan, yes, I believe the devil is real. I think the Bible teaches that. I expect, in fact, I, I'm certain the Bible teaches that. And, and, and throughout the book of Genesis, you see that the enemy is, is attacking the people of Israel in such a way that he's trying to keep them from having a big nation because he knew that the promised Messiah would come through this lineage. And so maybe, maybe Satan's here trying to throw these ideas into Joseph's brother's mind to sell him away because he thinks that, hey, maybe, maybe these guys will develop a schism and their people will not be preserved. But I want you to know this, that in Genesis chapter 40, we observe Joseph's life and his faith is preserved in prison. Joseph should not have been there. He was falsely accused. He was wrongly imprisoned. But there he sat. And there this butler, or if you will, this cupbearer, most likely. A butler is, or cupbearer, if you will, is the person who would eat every meal before the king would eat it. He'd taste of the, the meats, taste of the vegetables, drink the drinks, so that in case somebody was trying to poison the king or the pharaoh, the cupbearer or the butler would die first. We don't know exactly why, but the butler and the baker are there in prison for some reason. We know that in verse number one, that they offended the king of Egypt in some way. But they have this dream. The butler has this dream. You know this story, that he has this dream, and, and he goes to Joseph, and he finds out, and Joseph says, well, hey, uh, you know, here's your interpretation. Here's the dream. You're going to survive. Pharaoh's going to call you after a few days, and, and the baker was, I don't know, maybe you had a friend or a relative that received good news. Maybe they received a check in the mail and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get a check from my insurance company or for something. I'm going to get something like that too. Well, he thought he was going to get good news too, but he didn't. He said, hey, in a few days, Mr. Baker, sir, you're going to die. And sure enough, both came to pass. But Joseph just requested to the butler, hey, when you get out of here and Pharaoh comes for you, just remember me. And for about two years, give or take, Joseph is there in prison. 
Imagine what was going through his mind for two years. Perhaps he was contemplating, God, why are you letting me be here? I shouldn't be here. But the Bible doesn't say any of those things. But it does say in verse number 23 that the chief butler did not remember Joseph and forgot about him. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you were overlooked. Maybe you're here today, maybe you feel like that nobody recognized you or nobody ever sees you and everybody has forgotten about you. I want, to, I want you to know this, that Almighty God knows who you are and he will never forget you. Just like he did not forget about Joseph in prison. Chapters 41 through 47 is about God preserving his people in the midst of famine. Time doesn't allow me to really dig into this story and this narrative here. But in chapter 41, after two years transpire, Pharaoh dreams this dream about these cows and about this corn. And he hears about this guy named Joseph who can interpret dreams because of the butler. And so they send for him. They get him all cleaned up. He's 30 years old when he stands before this man, Pharaoh. And he says, well, Pharaoh, sir, this, this dream means that there's going to be seven years of prosperity and there's going to be seven years of famine. And in the seven years of prosperity, you are to tend to all of the grain and all of the, the produce and, and you will be used to, to literally feed the world. And because of that, Joseph goes from being sold from a pit to the Midianites who sell him to be a slave in Potiphar's house, who because of the false accusation throws him in jail, in prison, and then now he is the second in command in Egypt. God is such a mighty God. God is always at work in the shadows of our lives, orchestrating his sovereign plan, and that's what he's doing in the life of Joseph. See, now Joseph is beginning to develop this theology that God is in control. Even when I'm in the pit, even when I'm in the prison, because he was leading me up to interpret this one man's dream so that I could get into Pharaoh's court and become prime minister of Egypt. And so they begin to feed the nations. And lo and behold, in Genesis chapter 42, Jacob, Joseph's father, hears about Egypt and their prosperity. And so they come. And Joseph is now an Egyptian. He looks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. And they do not recognize him. The 10 brothers went. The one brother, Benjamin, if my memory serves me correct, stays back. And there, as, as they're there, they begin to converse. And Joseph kind of begins to test them. And says, one of your brothers is going to stay and you're going to go back and you're going to do all these different things. And so they do that. And as they're traveling away, the money that they gave him for the food is in their pouches. And so they come back and bring double. And then as he sends them off again, he says, put the money in the sack and put my cup in there. And so they go. And he, Joseph sends his people to go find them and they search all of the camels and all of the animals and they find the cup there and they bring them back and stand before Joseph and Joseph reveals himself to them and says, is my father alive? And so they sin for Jacob. And Genesis chapter 41 all the way to 47 tells this story about how the Israelites 
were at the very brink of experiencing famine and malnourishment because of a lack of nutrition. But God, in his mighty ways, brings and orchestrates his people to Egypt to reside in Goshen. And there for 400 years, they were preserved. And in chapters 48 and 49, we read about Joseph, excuse me, Joseph's father, Jacob, giving the blessing. He's come to the end of his life, and he gives the blessing to all of his sons. And it's interesting, we see that God not only preserves Joseph in the prison, not only preserves Israel in the famine, but he preserves his people as the remnant. And in Egypt, one family would grow to become some two plus million people. There are nations today that have about that amount of people. I decided I was going to look it up. And if my memory serves me correct, um, Peru, I think, if my memory serves me correct, Peru has a little over two and a half million people. So if you could just imagine, imagine all the people of Peru is residing in Goshen and in Egypt, and that's the people of Israel. Over 400 years and God delivered his promise. So hey, no matter what transpires in our culture, I know that the world right now is very hostile to the Bible, very hostile to the good news of Jesus Christ. But just as God preserved Israel through all the trials in the book of Genesis, my friend, God can preserve us as a church in this age and culture in which we reside in. God is a mighty God and he's on his throne. And I don't know about you, but I want to be like Joseph and I want to have faith in God that will always look to God. That God, we look to God in times of tribulation. We look to God in times of preservation, knowing that it is his sovereign hand that allows the church for these 2,000 years to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Thirdly today, when does faith look to God? Not just in times of tribulation and preservation, but thirdly, faith looks to God in times of affirmation. All right. So now we've looked from Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 49, briefly, kind of a survey, a bird's eye view. But now in Genesis 50, we see that, that Joseph has fallen upon the face of his father and is weeping over him and kisses him and his father is now dead. They embalm his father and there they have this time of mourning for 70 days in the, in the ancient culture and there they grieve over him and they take the bones of Jacob to the promised land and there they bury him. But in Hebrews chapter 11, if you would, I want to share something with you. We're talking about all these different things in the life of Joseph and all those events. I mean, when I first read Hebrews chapter 11, I'm like, why, why, why isn't it talking about how Joseph goes from the pit to the prison to the palace? Why, why is this in here? Why is this phrase or this quotation from Genesis chapter 50 verses 24 and 25, why is this in here and not something else? Well, I think it's here because Joseph died believing the promise of God. So in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20, 21, and 22, we read about the faith of not just Abraham, but of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So consider this, God's a firm promise. God made a promise to Abraham many, many, many years ago. And then Abraham had a son, his name was Isaac, and, and he reaffirmed that promise to him. 
Then he had a son named Jacob and, and God reaffirmed that promise to him and he began to have 12 sons and he had all these different things and they traveled to Egypt and his one son became a mighty ruler in Pharaoh, uh, excuse me, in Egypt and there God used them to preserve his people and there, after 400 years, they had a massive nation. God is fulfilling his promise. He had a mighty nation now, Israel did. Still didn't have the land. Still didn't have the Messiah. So the threefold promise of a mighty nation that couldn't be numbered and a a land to reside in and a Messiah to deliver, one of the three has now been fulfilled 400 years after Joseph's death. And so here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, I believe that in the very deathbed of Joseph, he is believing the promises of God because he's seen God work so many times so far. And in verse 22, he says, when he died, he made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. That's the Exodus. That's the entire book of Exodus. But notice, go back to Genesis chapter 50. And in the middle of all this, Joseph and his brothers, they get back to Egypt and his brothers fall before him and they say, forgive us. They were afraid that what he did to them was now gonna come back and haunt them. And I love Joseph's response. In verse 19 of Genesis chapter 50, Joseph looks at them, he says, don't be afraid, do not fear. Am I God? I'm not in the place of God. He says, but for you, You thought this evil against me, in verse 20. But God meant it for good, to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph's theology was in the sovereignty of God. That God is in control, and man's most wicked intentions and actions can never thwart the perfect, providential, sovereign plans of God. As Paul said, He can work all things for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. God affirmed his promise. But then check this out. Israel's affirmed exodus. Here on his deathbed, Joseph says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, a direct quotation from Hebrews. Joseph says to his brothers, I am about to die. And God will surely visit you And will bring you out of this land to the land which he promised or swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So why does Hebrews record this about the Exodus? Well, because Joseph did not see it in his lifetime, but he died believing it was going to take place. Listen, I haven't seen everything that the Bible speaks about. I haven't. I haven't seen the future. But I have seen what the Bible says about the future, and I'm resting in the sovereignty of God that what God said is going to come to pass. And then Joseph looks to his brothers and, and he, he gives this affirmed burial about, about his burial. And in verse 25 of Genesis 50, he says, Joseph took this oath of promise to the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you are going to carry up my bones from hence. And so they embalmed Joseph's body. They did that and for years and years and, and for generation after generation, they continued to travel with Joseph's body until They come to Canaan and place his body in the grave. Exodus chapter 13 and Joshua chapter 24 speak about this. But notice the writer of Hebrews says, 
When he died, he made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. I don't really give much thought on where my body's going to be buried. In fact, I don't even care how I, how, how, what you do with my body when I'm gone. You can do the traditional route. You can burn me. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. I'm not going to be here. But I know that some people give serious thought about how they're going to be cared for after they leave this world. And they're very meticulous. They want to have a specific suit on or a specific dress on. They want certain people to, to be the pallbearers and carry their casket. They want certain ways or certain, I want you to spread my ashes here in the Atlantic and all the way over here in the Pacific. I mean, people have, have different requests. They do. And Joseph was like that. His request was, I do not want to be buried in Egypt because this is not my home. God promised me a land and I want to be buried in that land. And that's what they did. And Hebrews, the writer here, recalls those two events about Joseph prophesying of the Exodus and getting them to make a covenant that they're going to bury him in the future in the land of promise. The life of Joseph so far in these characters in Hebrews is, is probably in my mind one of the most intriguing lives. You can read the book of Genesis chapter 37 to 50 and you can see so many parallels Surely, all the characters mentioned in Genesis chapter 11 have parallels to Jesus, but not like Joseph. Just in chapter 37, there are at least 16 parallels between Joseph and a greater named Jesus. You see, Joseph was a shepherd. Joseph was beloved and loved by his father. Joseph lived with his father in honor before going down to Egypt. Joseph was hated by his brothers because he was Jacob's special love and his own words. Joseph foretold of his, of, of, of his future uh, rule and reign of sovereignty. Joseph was sent by his father to his brothers for their farewell. Joseph's brothers plotted to kill, kill him. Joseph's brothers didn't believe his dreams. Joseph's brothers teased him and called him the dreamer. Reuben planned to save him. Joseph was stripped of his coat. His brothers, while eating, intended to kill him. Joseph was sold to Egypt at the proposal of Judah. Joseph was taken out of the pit alive with his own body. Joseph was sold for a price of redemption, and Joseph's blood was sprinkled upon his coat and presented to his father. Who does that sound like? Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the beloved of the Father. Jesus lived with God before coming to earth. Jesus was hated by his brothers because he claimed God being his Father and his very words and works. Jesus foretold of his future rule and reign. Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of Israel by his Father and to save the world. The Jews devised a scheme and plotted to kill him. Jesus' own brothers did not believe his words in the Gospels. Jesus was teased when he was driving out the demons. They attributed his works by being in the power of Beelzebub. Pilate offered a plan and had a plan to present Barabbas to save him. Jesus was stripped of his coat, covered with a scarlet robe. The Jews, while eating the very Passover meal, desired that Jesus would be slaughtered. 
Jesus was betrayed and handed over to the Jews by Judas. Jesus' resurrection from the tomb was a foreshadowed event from Joseph coming out of that pit. Jesus was sold for those pieces of silver. And Jesus is our scapegoat. And his blood was presented to the Father as a sin offering. My friend, you cannot study the life of Joseph without seeing the life of Christ. Today, it's my prayer that every Jewish person would, would read the Torah and see that the Torah has the future fulfillment in Messiah named Jesus. And he is the sacrificial lamb of God slain at the very foundation of the world. I wonder, do you have enough faith to believe God's promises? Do you have enough faith to believe that God can preserve his church in this time? Do you have enough faith to believe that God can help you in any trial you faith, face? Do you have faith in God? And are you looking to God? The greatest way you can look to God is by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, we invite you. Faith in God will always look to God. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.